Good morning. One of my favorite people from history is a man named C.T. Studd. Not just because I think he has perhaps the coolest name to exist. And guys, can you imagine having your last name as Studd? That's quite a uh, responsibility to live up to. But this man, C.T. Studd, was born in 1860. He grew up in a time uh, that we're not all that familiar with in some ways, but we are very familiar with in other ways. He lived in England, and England was a country that was a Christian country, much like ours today. He grew up in a family that was extraordinarily wealthy. They had in their backyard a polo field. I don't know how many of you grew up with a polo field in your backyard, but I certainly did not. He was also one of the world's best cricket players. Now again, this is something I'm not all that familiar with. If you're not familiar with cricket, it's kind of like baseball, just a whole lot slower and a lot more boring. Um, it's, the games can take literally days. He was a part of one of the most famous cricket matches of all time that lasted like a week. At one point in his life, he was looking at his own faith, and he came across this pamphlet that an atheist group had published. And in it, the atheist claimed that if Christians truly believed what they say they believe, they would live differently. They would be all consumed by the gospel of God. They would be all consumed with eternity and everybody's eternity. And C.T. Studd began to look at his own life and say, I am not sure that I live consistently with my own beliefs. And so he determined to change it. He determined to live consistently with what he said he believed. So he went home and he began to pray and he felt God calling him to go to China as a missionary. And so as a part of this call, he also felt like God was calling him to sell everything he had. Now remember, this was one of the most famous athletes of his day who grew up in a very wealthy family. He had a lot of money. And he felt like God was calling him to sell everything he had and to give it away and go to China. And so he did, and he went. After a couple years in China, as if to tempt him a little bit more, he received an inheritance from his father who had passed away. And this inheritance was worth somewhere in the neighborhood of four and a half million dollars today. Instead of saying, God, thank you for providing for the rest of my ministry life, he said, I do not want to put my hope and trust and faith in that inheritance. And he gave it all away. He lived in China for 10 years as a missionary, and he came home. He felt called to go to India, and so he went to India for six years, suffered terribly in India with his health, and so he came home. And after he came home, he, he began to hear about the plight in Africa and how nobody had gone to Africa. As he started talking about his desire and feeling of God calling him to go to Africa, people started trying to talk him out of it. He was old. His health was no good. His wife was bedridden. He didn't have any funds to go. But yet he looked around himself and he saw thousands of men having heard about gold being found in the Congo, going to Africa in search of gold. And he said this of those men. He said, if such men hear so loudly the call of gold and obey it, can it be that the ears of Christ's soldiers are deaf to the call of God and the cries of the dying souls of men? Are gamblers for gold so many and gamblers for God so few? And so he went. And in 19 years, he transformed the heart of Africa because of the faith 
he had and the trust he had in God. His life demonstrated that God is a God who can be trusted with everything. His testimony is one of a faithful God, and his life has impacted me a lot over these last few years. My name's Michael Blue, and I work at the Ron Blue Institute here on campus. I actually live in Texas, so I came in for this, but I work at the Ron Blue Institute. And if you're wondering if my name is similar because it's similar to Ron Blue's name, it is. I am Ron's son, and I've had the great privilege of working with my dad the last few years. I also had the great privilege of growing up in a home where I was taught biblical principles of money management. That's what we teach at the Ron Blue Institute. We teach what the Bible has to say about money and money management and what it means for our lives. So I knew these things growing up. What we teach is very simple. There's five basic things that you need to do with your finances and you will be in good shape. One, you spend less than you make, right? That seems rather obvious, but that is really hard for most people to do. You can't spend more money than comes in. Secondly, avoid debt. That is a product oftentimes of spending more than we make. Now, there are times that you need to consider taking debt and others, and actually our Nexus coaches can help you with that, but avoid debt in most situations, particularly for consumers, consumer goods and cars and things like that. The next thing is to maintain margin. We have to maintain margin because the unexpected will always occur. You never know what's going to happen. If you don't have any room in your budget, then there's no way to deal with that. The next thing, and this should probably go number one, is to give generously. We all need to be generous givers, and the reason is is because it breaks the power money has over our lives. And finally, set long-term goals. Because if you don't know where you're going, how will you know if you get there? You've got to have a destination in mind. So those five simple things, if you do all those things, I promise you, you will be in good shape financially. Spend less than you earn, avoid debt, give generously, maintain margin, and set long-term goals. So I didn't have a problem with this, but what I have struggled with in my life is connecting the heart of God with why I'm supposed to be responsible with my money. You, you all know you ought to be responsible for your money, but why? why? How does this connect with the heart of God? It just feels sometimes like more rules and more things that weigh on top of me that I need to do. And so this morning, I want to try to help us connect the dots. Your theme of chapel this year is the love of God. And my title is Trusting a Loving God. I have two contentions that I want to talk about this morning. One, because God is loving, I can trust him. And two, one of the best ways that I demonstrate that I trust God is when I honor him with how I use my resources. John Piper says it like this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And this is what it's it's all talking about. When I find my satisfaction in God, when he is the thing that I want, we sang about this this morning, when all I want is found in him, God is most glorified in that. He receives the most glory, and so that is what we are seeking to do and seeking to look at how we do this in our lives. When I believe that he is actually loving, when I believe that he is actually trustworthy, and then live in that way, that's when my heart is connected with God's heart. C.T. Studd understood this. He understood that his life didn't match up and he determined to make a change. And so let's talk about our first point. Because God is loving, I can trust him. I want to tell two stories. And these are stories that most of you are probably familiar with from the Bible. The first one comes out of Mark chapter 10. And in this, a man comes up to Jesus and he says, teacher, tell me what I need to do to inherit eternal life. That's a good question. 
And Jesus looks at him and he says, well, you know, follow the commandments. And he's like, okay, good, I've done those things. And then it says in verse 21, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. So that is our first guy. Now, I want to tell a second story, and I want you to begin asking yourself the question, which guy would I rather be? The second man is walking along, and he discovers a treasure in a field. And he opens up the treasure, and he looks inside, and it is more wealth than he has ever seen before in his life. And so quickly, he covers it up, and he buries it again. And he goes to the owner of that field, and he says, how much to buy your field? And the owner tells him, and so he goes home and realizes it's going to cost him everything that he has to buy that field. But he knows about the treasure. So he sells it all. And it says in his joy he sells it all. And he goes and he buys that field. So who would you rather be? Would you rather be the rich man or would you rather be the man who bought the field? I mean even the language of the text points us towards wanting to be the guy with the field. It says in his joy. Versus this guy was sorrowful. The rich man was sorrowful. He was disheartened. But I want to propose to you all this morning that these stories are identical stories. There is no difference between them. Both stories, the man is seeking eternity. In both stories, the cost of eternity is everything that they have. Yet, when I hear the story of the rich man, oftentimes, I look at it and I think, man, that is harsh. I tend to look at him, I feel sorry for him, like, Jesus, that was a big ask of that guy how in the world could you ask him to sell it all he had a lot so why is it that I and I'm assuming many of you do as well why is it that you feel sorry for this rich man why do we feel sorry for him in this call why would a loving God ask this man to sell everything that he has was he just trying to test him (laughs) maybe prove a point maybe Jesus was just tired of people asking questions Tired of people just following him and pretending to really love him. So he just wanted to prove a point. But I think the understanding of this story turns on the phrase at the beginning of it. Where it says, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. That was what, that was before he gave the command to this man. And since God loves him, since God loves this guy, it implies that what he told him to do was best for him. Right? If you love somebody and you tell them to do something, you're going to tell them to do something that is good for them and best for them. When I punish my children or I talk to my kids and I tell them to do something they don't want to do, but I know that it will develop something in them or it will make them into the person I'm trying to help them become, it's because I love them. I have a deep love for him. Jesus knew he had something better for this man. That's what a loving God does. He says, I have something better than your things. Let's think about for a second the love of God. I know that you guys have probably heard it a lot, but I just want to sit and and wonder for a second. God, the one who created the universe. Think about how vast the universe is. It stretches beyond what any of us will ever lay eyes on. We can barely see part of our solar system. This God who made all of that and who sits outside of it and above it and holds it all together, understood that we were in desperate need of 
help and a savior. And so he himself became man, right? Not just any man, but a poor and a reviled man who had no place to lay his head. This is the love of God. And he lived the life that we could not live and needed to live. And he died the death that we deserved to die because of his great love for us. That is the type of love that he has for us. And we cannot forget that. We cannot forget who he is and how big he is and how much he is coming after and pursuing us and saying, I love you. I want what is best for you. So why didn't this man obey? Why did he go away sad? As I have thought about this text, as I have pondered it, as I have really tried to internalize it, I think that the reason he went away sad and the reason we feel sorry for him is a sin that exists in many of our lives, but one that we don't talk about very often. It is a sin that I call unbelief. It is simply put a low view of eternity. It is a low view of the love of God. We don't really believe that God loves us or perhaps we really don't believe eternity is going to be that good or eternity is even worth it. And we say with our lives, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if it's going to be that good. And by implication, when we say that with our lives, we say to God, I don't know that you love me. I'm not sure that you love me. And so our lives don't match our beliefs. I've seen this in my own life. And, and, and this is probably why this, this message is personal to me. About six years ago, my wife and I, we have uh, three boys, so at the time they were seven, five, and three. And two, I'm sorry. And we, I, I was a lawyer practicing law. I had practiced for a while. And, and, and I had a job opportunity with the International Justice Mission. It's an organization that goes and fights systemic abuse of power, whether it's human trafficking or police abuse of power or land grabbing. And so I had an opportunity to go work with the International Justice Mission in Nairobi, Kenya. God was opening door after door after door. I, we could spend some time and I could tell you the story, but he miraculously we sold our house. I mean, it, it was just amazing. God kept opening doors. He kept confirming, this is what I have for you. And so as we began to plan, as we began to figure out where we would live, as we began to think of where we'd put our kids in school, it just got to the point where we looked at it and we said, this is hard. This is too hard. And so we didn't go. And as I... As I have looked at that in my own life, if I have looked at afterwards, I felt convicted just a few weeks after that I had disobeyed God. And when I asked why, why was it that I had such a hard time walking in it, I came to the conclusions because I didn't trust God. I didn't believe he would be my satisfaction. You know, the thing about belief is it's going to be costly. You look at the cause of God. You look at when he says, follow me. It always seems costly. And what I mean by this is it will always make you uncomfortable. And that is because there are idols in your life and in my life that need to be rooted out. They need to be torn out of our lives. And when we trust God, we are 
taking these steps that tear these idols out. And that is painful and it looks costly and it feels costly. And it seems like I don't know if I can stand up and bear the weight of this cost. But belief is more than just a simple mental assent. It's not just saying, I, I know you are God. I, I know that you're God. James 2.19 tells us that even the devil believes that. Not only that, he believes it and he shudders at it. Which in my own life, at times, I am fearful that I don't even have that much belief. The problem, I think, with most of our belief, and the reason this is so hard is because it centers on ourselves. If you walk into a church today, if you walked in and asked somebody what the purpose of church is, why do you come and meet together? What is this Jesus stuff about? You'll hear things like, well, Jesus saved me. Jesus loves me. Jesus forgave me. And those are all right, partially. What is the problem with each of those sentences? Who is the object of every single one of those sentences? Jesus loves me. He saved me. He forgives me. The object of every single one of those sentences is me. The object of Christianity is not me. The object of Christianity is Jesus Christ. Jesus loves me. He saves me. He forgives me so that his name would be made known on earth. And glory would come to his name. And if it bothers you that he wants glory to come to his name, I will ask you this morning, whose name would you rather he glorify? Right? You? Me? Whose name is worthy of praise but his name alone? And so when we, when we value Jesus properly, when we value eternity properly, when we understand the love of him, this stuff is not costly anymore. It is only costly because we haven't valued enough. We haven't looked at it and said, that is worth it. We look at eternity and say, I don't think I want that. Or perhaps I just really want a ticket out of hell. I don't really want to treasure God for eternity. And if that's what you want out of your relationship with Christ, you will be sorely dissatisfied in eternity. Because what we get is Jesus and more and more of him. Let's go back to the story of the rich man. When Jesus tells him to sell everything he has, give it to the poor and come follow him. Those are the words I want to focus on. He says, come follow me. Think about this for a second. Just put yourself in that man's position. What was Jesus asking him to do? He was saying, come and walk with me. Come and sit with me. Come and eat with me. Come and lay your head down next to me. Come and be with me. I want to give you more of myself. Jesus was offering himself to this man and he said, no, I don't think so. I like my stuff. It's a pretty stupid choice he made. He flat out made a bad decision. If Jesus is worth anything in our lives, he is worth absolutely everything from our lives. God has said, I've shown you that I love you. Now trust me. And because he is loving, I can trust him. One of the best ways that I show and I demonstrate that I trust him is when I honor him with my resources. So what do you treasure the most in your life? What are you seeking after? Is it comfort? Is it love? Is it family? Is it security? What is it that you think will bring you the most satisfaction in your life? What does the way you handle your money say about the things that you value most? What does it communicate to the world? Does it say that we 
have a God that is worthy of pursuing or does it say that I'm going to make and rely on those things to protect me in my life? I think there's a generation that is walking out of the church today because it sees no difference in our lives from the world's lives. There is no power. There is no trust. There is no belief that God is worth more than our things. And when you think about that, when you think about the outside world looking at, the, at Christians and saying, you know what, you really don't look at the world any differently than I do. You just have a different means to get there. Jesus is just your means to get those things. And I will tell you, Jesus is no means to an end. He is the end. He is it. He is the thing that will provide us the most satisfaction in our lives. Is more of God the thing that you desire the most? Is it the thing that you just perhaps think you desire the most? Do you think that it would even bring people joy? Not just salvation. I mean more of God. Isaiah 44, 3 is a promise from Jesus. He says, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. There was a revival I read about in the Hebrides, which is an island off of Scotland. And in this revival, this was in the 1950s, an amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened. And as I read that book, I thought, wow, I don't know that I've ever seen that. So I I had two choices. I could say, that's just not real. Or there is a God, there is a Holy Spirit who is alive and active and powerful and he is able to transform your life and my life and he is able to pour forth himself on all of us if we would just trust him. When we manage our money and use it to honor and glorify God, we show the world that we worship something valuable and worthy. This is the whole reason we manage money well. Simply put, it is to show honor and glory to him. Because when we say, no, I don't, I'm not going to buy that thing that I can't afford, we're saying to the world, look, that's not my treasure. Christ is my treasure. Or perhaps when I set aside something I can't afford so that I can help somebody else, I say to the world, that is not my treasure. Christ is my treasure. And I will use my resources and I will always point it towards God. I have to ask myself, what are the things that will bring me the most joy 30 million years from today? What are the things that you want to be laying up treasures for? Is it 35 years from now or is it 35 million years from now? I say we have to take the long view. We, we take the eternal view and I understand that this is hard to do because it, it, it's kind of out there at times. But God is calling us and he's saying, you need to trust me. I am faithful. I am loving. And when you trust me, I will not let you down. When we celebrate health, wealth, and prosperity, we're just telling the world that our treasure is the same as theirs. Jesus tells us to follow him and he will give us more of himself. Period. That's it. Do you hunger and thirst for God? Do you hunger and thirst for more of him? Do you get on your knees and pray to God, God, whatever it is in my life that is keeping me from you, I want you to tear it out. I want you to make me a clean vessel so that you can use me, so that I can learn to trust you. Paul understood this when he talks about Philippians and he looks at his education and his family and his life and he says, I look at all those things and count all of them as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. (laughs) When we celebrate Jesus and we celebrate eternity, the world may look at us and mock and laugh and say those people are fools, but they will not call us hypocrites. And they will see the power of God move in our lives. I guarantee you when you put yourself in his hands, in the loving God's hands, and you say, God, I trust you. I just want you to give me more of yourself. He will give you more of himself. It may not be in the way you dreamed or envisioned for your life, but it will be more of himself. And you will not look back in 30 or 40 years and say, man, I'm sorry I made that choice. I promise you, take me up on it. Stake your life on it. You will not be sorry you trusted God. Think about that. Can you be sorry that you trusted God too much? Is there such a thing? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that there is. And, and because God is loving, I'm going to say it again, I can trust him. C.T. Studd understood this, and he lived a way that many people would look at and say, that's crazy. And I don't think all of us are called to sell everything and go to Africa. That can seem really intimidating. But what we are called to do is to trust him. And we start little. C.T. Studd didn't start there. He started with little things in his life in England. And he learned to trust God. Jim Elliott says it this, I pushed back the boundaries of my faith one more step. That is what we do. We push back the boundaries of our faith one more step as we trust him more and more and more. The man who sold everything to buy the treasure in his field said it went that he did it in his joy. In his joy. This is not a legalistic call that you need to start checking some boxes. This is about finding joy. This is about finding satisfaction. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And that is where we find our greatest joy. This isn't just you got to do these things or you're not really a good Christian. This is a call to find out how much and how big God's love is for us. Because he is loving, you can trust him. C.T. Studd said this. I'll close with these two quotes. He said, While here in the saddle I intend to ride and get others to ride and not be carried to heaven on a flowery bed of ease. Let's do one thing or the other. This is the choice before us this morning. Let's do one thing or the other. Either eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Or let us gamble with life and death and our all for our Lord Jesus Christ. After living that life and forsaking all of those things, all of those earthly pleasures, C.T. Studd lay in his bed dying and his last words over and over and over were hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He had sought the face of God. God had made his face to shine upon him. He had gotten more of God, and that is what he offers us this morning. And do you trust him enough? Do you trust him enough to begin living your life consistently with your beliefs? I have struggled to try to do this, and I will continue to struggle, and I am far from perfect at it, but I would encourage you to come along the journey. It is absolutely worth it. There's more joy to be found in just laying yourself at his feet and saying, I just want more of you, and that is where we find the most satisfaction. Simply put, he wants to give you more of himself. Sometimes the call may feel costly, but his promise is always more of himself. Will you let him give you more of himself? Let me close our time in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you 
for these students this morning. I thank you for uh, the heart that they have um, been granted uh, to know you and, and to want to follow you. Lord, I thank you that, that you have put these uh, men and women together in very different places in their faith and their belief and that each one can strengthen the other one. And so I pray that you would encourage them this morning as they go that uh, you are loving and because you're loving we can trust you. I pray that we would be a people that goes forward and says to the world, I will not worship at the feet of your idols. I will only worship at the feet of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would fill us with more of yourself and you would make us your total satisfaction and you would make it so that we can come back and we say, I staked my life on the claim of Jesus Christ and I have never been disappointed since. Lord, may it be so with us. I pray that you would be gracious to us and bless us and make your face to shine upon us as we go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.